O Lord, our God, uh, we just heard read verse 13 of Psalm 27. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Lord, what a, a glorious and gracious promise that there is a land of the living in your presence. Lord, we all will leave this earth by way of death if our Lord Jesus does not return first. And we thank you that in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have life and we have it abundantly. That we indeed shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Lord, I pray uh, for Pete and Jean. I pray that you would give them your joy as they look to our Lord Jesus Christ and as uh, they mourn uh, Jean's sister's passing. We mourn alongside her. Thankful that uh, you have given us a salvation that is full and free in Jesus Christ. Help us to understand this salvation more and more as we sit under the proclamation of your word. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. We ask through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Have you ever made a mistake that you cannot fix? Uh, Some mistakes can't be fixed on this side of eternity. Uh, Hurting someone in a car accident because you weren't paying attention. Entering into an unhealthy relationship that brings cascading uh, consequences. Saying something that wounded another person deeply. And the list could go on and on. It's my firm belief that all of us have made these types of uh, monumental mistakes in our life. Some mistakes are more consequential than others. But all of these mistakes cause us to grieve for long afterwards. They are not easily wiped from our memory. King David made a series of mistakes in his life that brought more harm and sorrow to many more people than all of us have by our combined mistakes. David's adultery with Bathsheba led him to murder Bathsheba's husband Uriah. And then the downstream consequences led to the rape of David's um, one of David's daughters which then led to the murder of one of his sons by by another of his sons. And for the sake of time, I'm going to downplay the real ugliness of David's uh, family dysfunction. But it was dysfunctional. And it was because of the consequence of that ugly, tragic mistake he made in pursuing Bathsheba when he knew he should not have done so. And then David's refusal to take control of his family as things started to spin out of control 
led his son Absalom to engineer a coup and drive David from Jerusalem. David dug a deep hole over Bathsheba. And he didn't stop digging. He kept digging, piling horrifying mistake upon horrifying mistake. During this this time, I firmly believe that David felt himself disqualified from being king. Uh, He was so passive in this period, about a 12 to 15 year period uh, after his sin with Bathsheba, his he, he seemed to shut down in his kingly responsibilities. He was passive in the way he ruled, likely thinking he was disqualified um, in being king. And he for sure felt unworthy to be loved by God. In fact, we see it here in our passage. Look at verse 9. He says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. I am making the assumption that most of you who have, most of you here this morning have had similar periods in your life where you felt like your mistakes or your sins weighed you down. Where you, where you felt so low that you wondered whether God would listen to your prayers, much less answer them. Whether you would ever experience the joy in the Lord that you had earlier in your life. And whether you were disqualified from ever really being useful uh, for the Lord anymore in any capacity. In Psalm 27, David tells us how to respond when we find ourselves in such a spot. This psalm tells us how, with God's grace, to climb out of the pits that we find ourselves in from time to time. And so first, this psalm tells us to remind yourself that your life is a demonstration of God's free and unconditional grace. Although David's life was in the a pit of his own making, his first step out of the pit was to remember that God loved him and that God was, was for him in spite of his foolishness, in spite of his sins. Even though there was a dark cloud hanging over David's life, God was David's light and salvation. Look at verse 1. David proclaims it. Boldly, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? No matter where you find yourself, no matter how dig, I'm sorry, how how deep you have dug the pits in your life, if you are a Christian, you can take the first step out of the pit by remembering that God has committed Himself to you. That He has committed Himself to you to be your light. Your salvation. Notice how personal he is in verse 1. David says, he is my light, my salvation. Which is to say, God, if you are in Jesus Christ, God is your light and your salvation as well. It is real tempting to expect 
expect only God's punishment for your sins. But our God is a God of grace. If Christ has taken your punishment on the cross, God will only ever after approach you with outpoured love. Even when He is disciplining you, it is absolute goodness wrapped in pure love. Think this through with me for a moment. Before you came to Christ, you had no light. You had no salvation. You were lost. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were a reprobate, only deserving God's wrath, with nothing recommending you to God. God, in His grace, in His free and sovereign grace, saved you. He caused you to be reborn from spiritual death. He opened your eyes and heart to understand the gospel. He calls you to desire Jesus Christ as your Savior. You did not earn this salvation. You did not deserve it. But in His free grace, He lavished you with light and salvation. And God, therefore, will not take it away from you. You did not deserve it before you got it. It was an unconditional free gift, one that he will never, ever take away. Listen to David's confidence in God's love for him in verses 1 through 3. Even though he deserved for his enemies to overcome him because of his sins, David knew that God was for him. And if God is for us, who can be against us? The enemies are representative of our bad circumstances that might be bearing down upon us. David does not fear his circumstances. He does not fear his enemies because God is for him. Verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. It does not necessarily mean that your circumstances will change or that the consequences of your sins or mistakes will vanish, but it means that you will with God's help, overcome. So the first step out of the pit is to remind yourself that your life is a demonstration of God's free and unconditional grace. The second step is to stimulate or encourage your love for God. If you're trying to trust God uh, to escape the pit of your pain, and you're only trusting God because you only care about your own well-being, you are double-minded in your approach to God. Instead of loving God, you're trying to use Him. Faith says, I love God, so I will trust Him through the hardships and consequences that I have brought upon myself. We focus our energy on the desires of our heart. What we really desire is what we put our energy into. If you desire to escape the circumstances, you'll give all your energy 
to trying to escape the circumstances. Faith desires God. And so all attention when we approach God with faith narrows on God alone. In spite of everything happening to David, everything happening around him, everything happening to him, watch his attention in verse 4 narrow down upon God. He says, One thing I have asked of the Lord. One thing, one thing only is important to David. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David is not desiring um, to simply live in the temple. He's not desiring to go to the, to the church, so to speak, and just live there. Uh, remember, this is poetic language. What he's saying here, in, in a very um, heightened way, is that he wished to be close to God, wherever he was. He was close to God in his temple. He wished to be close to God wherever, in whatever circumstances he might be in. It's awfully tempting to try and take things into our own hands and put our trust in our own wisdom. We like having some control over our circumstances. But look at where David placed his trust in verses 5 and 6. He says, For he, talking about God, for God will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up my in, above all my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. God is going to hide him. God is going to conceal him. God is going to place him upon a rock. Uh, just a little background here on verse 5. The shelter he's talking about here was the king's tent that was surrounded by the armies. If the enemies were going to get at David, so to speak, they would have to go through the entire army to get to him. And God saying, or David saying that God has hidden me in his tent with the host of heaven around him. He is safe. He is secure. He says, Uh, Again, he shall conceal me under the cover of his tent. I think this is referring to the tent of meeting, where the holy place was, where no one was allowed. And David is saying, God will hide me there, closest to himself. His hand of protection. His gaze will be upon me. His, his, His watch care is so close. And then he will lift him high upon a rock. What's a rock? A rock is immovable. A rock is is immutable. And he's saying God's sovereign immutable hand will uphold me. Nothing will shake me. It's 
So God is going to hide him, conceal him, and lift him upon a rock. Instead of scheming, therefore, in verse 6, David is singing and making melody in his heart to the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, trust in the Lord. Look to Him to work things out. I'm not saying don't put in, don't put in, uh, I'm not saying that you put in no action or thought and sit, sit uh, comfortably in your, in your lazy boy, so to speak, uh, waiting for God to work. Uh, No, we're not to simply let go and let God. Look what David does in verses 7 through 12, and I'll begin with verse 7. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. So the first thing David determines to do is pray. And his heart's determination in verse 8 is to seek God's face. And this is in keeping with his prayer in verse 4. So verse 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after. And so he's going to seek after uh, this, that he may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. And so then in verse 8, um, following on that desire, he, uh, God says, seek my face. And he says, my heart says to you, your face Lord, do I seek? How many times have you mouthed such a prayer like we find in verse 4? Lord, help me to be near to you. And then 10 minutes later, something's happened. You get a phone call. You get a text message. Your TV show's about to come on. And you forget about that prayer. And that prayer just kind of wanders from your mind. David here is not so easily distracted. His desire is to be near to God. And so in verse 8, he is praying, God, your face I will seek. He is so determined. He not only commits to pray with determination, there's also an unwavering and prompt response uh, of obedience to God's will. God says to David, seek my face. And so David seeks God's face. He doesn't pause to ask questions. Lord, what should I pray for first if I'm going to seek your face? Should I pray or should I read scripture first? Should I set time aside later or seek you now? Uh, Where should I go? Should I go to a quiet place or should I go to this other quiet place? Is there another commitment? That I need to fulfill first. No, he asked none of those questions. He simply responded, Your face, Lord, will I seek. Allowing nothing to come before his seeking of God. You know, many Christians fall into a ditch. Or, and they remain there for long periods because they approach God's approach obedience to God with an attitude of leisure. You plan to get around to obeying God after the TV show ends or when the the schedule gets a little less hectic. This approach to following God ends with your unfinished obedience being rolled over to the to-do list for the next day where the pattern of leisurely obedience repeats itself. Break the pattern. 
Don't add your leisurely obedience to your prayer list to be prayed about later. Repent now. Obey God immediately. Whatever the Word of God is calling you to do, follow it in the strength of God at once, without delay. Slow obedience is no obedience. It might be easy to think that David is this super Christian who found it easy to pray. But in verse 9, we see David struggling to believe God will receive him or even listen to his prayers. Again, verse 9, he prays, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. It seems as if David is having a hard time gaining his footing. And so in the middle of verse 9, David looks backwards and recounts how God has been his help in previous years. Again, he says, uh, right in the middle of verse 9, O you who have been my help. You know, this can be a wise strategy when you are struggling to find your footing in the present. David could think back to how God had helped him slay a lion and a bear when he was uh, tending sheep as a shepherd when he was a young man. He could remember holding the head of the, the great Philistine giant Goliath in his hand with all its gore and ugliness after God gave him the victory. He could look back on those days where God helped David escape Saul's wrath. He has all these Ebenezers, so to speak, all these posts um, in his life that he could look back upon. God helped me here. God helped me there. God helped me so many times in my past. And remembering God's help in the past can help us find our footing in the present. Spurgeon, in, or it's not Spurgeon, but uh, Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress uh, talks about Pilgrim going through the Slav despond. And I've always pictured that as like a, a, a quicksand where there, he couldn't get his footing and he's trying to reach the other side. And sometimes when we're in the pits of our own making, sometimes when we're living with our regrets and our sorrows overwhelming us, it can feel like we're in quicksand. Looking back to how God helped us in the past can give us firm footing in the present. You know, I think back often to the ways God helped me in the past to encourage me uh, here in the present. I think back on prayers that God has answered in powerful ways. I think back on uh, people that uh, God used me to lead to Christ. I saw some, I don't go on Facebook, but I get these notifications every now and then and uh, up popped um, uh, a notification this morning uh, saying, And uh, I told him, let's go out to lunch. I'll feed you lunch um, for, on me. He said, oh, okay. We talked about the gospel. Nothing. The next day, however, 
the things we talked about began to ring home after. And he took all his drugs, flushed them down the toilet, and has been walking with Christ ever since. He is a Christian uh, lawyer up in Atlanta, uh, raising a Christian family. And God helped me to help him come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it brings me comfort and joy here in the present. And so looking to the ways that God helped you in the past can be helpful. It can give you firm footing when you're struggling in the present. And I think back on God's faithfulness to me, to encourage me to more fervency in my prayers, to be more bold in my faith. I stepped out here when I didn't know where the next step was going. And God was right there pushing me forward. I'm not saying that you should base your assurance only on past experiences and remembrances of God's work in your life. Uh, Spurgeon wisely said, old manna and old expectations can soon become corrupt. But those old uh, experiences where God helped you, they can help our faith in the present. In fact... David's peek back into God's past faithfulness in verse 9 seems to be propelling David forward in verses 10 through 12. There's a, there's a different tone in verses 10 through 12 than we find in verse 8. Verse 8, it seems like he's wondering if God will hear his prayers. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. But he, in the middle of that passage, looks back to God for his help. And then in verses 10 through 12, we meet a whole new attitude in David. You know, if you've been in a rowboat, you begin, you put your oars out and then you pull backwards. And that glance backwards in our lives sometimes propels us forward in our faith. And so David glances backwards, he pulls backwards, looks at how God helped him. And then he goes forward with tremendous assurance. Verses 10 through 12. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. And they breathe out violence. In verse 10, I do not believe that David is saying that his father and mother had really abandoned him. Again, I think this is poetic heightening. Uh, One's parents are the first to love us. They love us best. And they are the last to leave us. And so what David is saying here uh, is that God loves us. And that he receives us even when our parents won't. God loves us better even than our parents. And then verses 11 and 12, David is ready to be fully submissive to God. He is seeing what, God, what David's way leads to. That's why he ended up in the pit of sorrow and regret. And so he cries out, Teach me your way, O Lord. Again, there's an earnestness to learn God's will, to submit to God, to follow Him without questioning or hesitation. 
Let me ask you. Who is the king of your life? Whose way are you following? Are you following your way? Or are you following God's way? If you say God's way, then I have a second question. Are you following leisurely? Or are you following Him with prompt determination? And look what happens when David follows God's way. He emerges from the pit that he has been living in for, I think, over a decade. The pit was deep, but by following God's way in God's strength without delay, he hoped to emerge on a level path. Verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Because of my enemies. Whenever you find yourself, or wherever you find yourself, however deep the pit, no matter how profound the addictions or the difficulties, regardless of the magnitude of past mistakes, God can provide a way forward. He can lead you on a level path. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that God is willing and able to lead you on such a path? David has drawn drawn out a map for you in Psalm 27. He He has laid before us a way out of the pit. Will you follow God in His strength with all promptness to get out of that pit? In verses 13 and 14... David stopped praying and he started preaching. So verses 13 and 14. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David knows that God is a God of free and unconditional grace. That God does not hold grudges for the past disobedience of his children. David knows that God is perfectly able and willing to pull us out of the pit and lead us on a level path. So David sets himself in verses 13 and 14 as a beacon for us to follow. David did not wait um, to believe that, or David did not uh, wait to dare believe he would look upon the Lord in the land of the living after he had climbed out of the pit. He didn't wait until he'd gotten out of the pit to say, oh, well, I'll look upon the land of the living or or the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It was his hope in God, his certainty of eternal life with God that pulled him forward through the furnace of his sorrows and his suffering, that pulled him past his regrets into the joy of the Lord. God's promises for our future blessing are a powerful encouragement to our present faith. In fact, it's much more powerful than a, than a backward glance at how God has helped us. Looking forward in faith to what God has promised us is a tremendously big encouragement. David says... I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here I am in this pit. I won't be here forever. In fact, I am going to seek God to get out of it now. 
future blessings are like a winch or a pulley drawing us forward through hardships, through sorrows, through regrets, through depressions, through weariness. What are some of these promises? Well, heaven is yours if you are in Jesus Christ. Eternal life is yours in Jesus Christ. Untold joys are yours in Jesus Christ. Unbroken fellowship with God is yours through Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, don't give up. Don't stay in the pit. The crown of life awaits you. Climbing out of a pit does not happen instantly. Not typically. Sometimes God's so gracious, He'll just lift us out of the pit immediately. So David gives us one last encouragement in verse 14, and I'll read it as an exhortation to you, and then we will be done. He says in verse 14, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord as we pray together. Oh, Lord, we freely confessed in our confession of sin that we have sinned against you in ways that we don't even recognize. Lord, sometimes our focus and gaze is so only upon us that we don't even realize that we have strayed from the path or have even fallen into a pit. God, I pray that you would use Psalm 27 to help us to stay on the path that you have lighted before us through your holy commandments. Teach us your way, O Lord. Lead us on the level path as we follow our Lord Jesus. Give us grace to repent quickly. Give us grace to repent often. Lord, give us grace to trust you regardless where we may be because we know that we will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.